Welcome to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get the job they really love. In addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book available. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. My guest today is Melissa Kelly, a certified professional resume writer, and I am proud to say one of my staff writers and coaches. Our show's purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. Every show, we will explore a topic related to business or job searching, and of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services, Denver's top-rated career coaching service. We focus on the practical tools for your job search, including resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, Personal Touch careerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or, you know, just Google it. And, of course, if you're turning into a fan of the show, please be sure to hit that little like button and follow us on wherever you like to get your podcasts. So, good afternoon, Melissa. How are you today? Good afternoon, Donna. I am glad it's Friday. Oh, yeah. yeah, Friday is always a good thing. Yep, yeah. absolutely. Yes, definitely. So um, let's just kind of kick things off. And sure. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know that you haven't always been a career coach or a resume writer. So, so how did you get to uh, doing what you're doing now? Well, um, I came into, career, came into resume writing by courtesy of the 2008 economic crash. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, I had been in automotive purchasing for 11 years, most of that time as a uh, contractor with GM. And when the automotive industry collapsed, I was out of a job. And since one of the easiest ways to cut costs at the big three was to cut contractors, I knew that I needed to find something else to do. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a come-to-Jesus moment because Purchasing had been fun when I first started, but as it went on, particularly as the economy and the automotive industry got less and less healthy, walking into the doors of GM's tech center every morning started feeling more and more like I was walking into a shark tank. Mm. And so I took some time to decide what it was I really liked to do and what I really enjoyed. And realized that since childhood I'd loved writing, loved editing, um, also very much liked helping people. And when I first went into business for myself, I was editing um, business documents as well as dissertations and medical and psychological and even dental research. And in 2006, actually a little bit before the economic crash, had gotten interested in resumes after, actually my dad mm-hmm. was laid off after 20-some years in the same job. And it turned out the reason why he didn't get any phone calls for six months was because he misspelled manager as manger. Oh, yeah. Throughout his resume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, kind of a big deal. And you know, I approached it from an editing perspective at that time. But the day after, you know, within the day, one to three days after he fixed that for him, all of a sudden he started getting phone calls and mm-hmm. interviews, and within a couple of weeks, a job. Um, and so I kind of did resumes on the side for people at, after that point and realized around 2011, 2012, you know, I should be making money for doing this. Mm-hmm. And initially started writing resumes with CareerBuilder back when they had a resume writing department. And in 2015, decided to do it full time, became professionally certified, and here I am today. Great, right. Now, I think you've been working for me just about that long. Yeah. Three or four years now, yeah. Yeah, it was just a couple of months after I got certified, I think, that I uh, sat down with you and um, we had that first interview and then I started writing for you. Great. So, of course, our topic today is all about what makes a great resume. And one of the things you just mentioned is that certification. So, what is a CPRW anyways? Well, CPRW stands for Certified Professional Resume Writer. Um, it's a credential that's given by the Professional Association of Resume Writers and Career Coaches, and yeah, I know that's a mouthful. But it is res- recognized as the essential resume writing certification for career professionals. And the process of getting it is pretty rigorous. Um, you sit for an exam that in total takes three days and mm-hmm. is multiple parts. There's a multiple choice test, written essays, and then a fictional candidate that you have to write a resume for, print it out, um, send it back, and that gets graded. Um, the comparison I usually make when people ask about this in terms of how rigorous the testing process is and the value that certification offers to the people I work with is it's, it's very similar along those lines to say, becoming a CPA. You know, you can be a financial professional, but then going up to a CPA is one step higher. Same thing is true with um, being a resume writer or taking that extra step for your clients and becoming a certified professional resume writer. Right. Okay. Great. So what do you think is really the value of these types of organizations? And I will be completely honest, uh, I am not a member of that organization, nor am I a certified professional resume writer myself. And one of the reasons why I've done that is over the years I've you know, sourced a, a lot of different resume writers and I've seen a lot of different work from resume writers and sometimes I've seen really bad resumes produced by people who have that certification. So I have to. <laughs> yep, yep, see, you see. So it's yep. just because you have a certification behind it's just kind of like, you know, you have a college degree but are you applying the knowledge that you've invested in? Right? Well, yeah, it's, it's just like if uh, you know, you have financial industry cond- credentials doesn't automatically mean you're not there's not going to be a Bernie Madoff somewhere. Mm-hmm. Or Madoff, I think the last name is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely. So one of the the advantages of being a credentialed resume writer, just again, you know, as you're working with a credentialed financial professional or credentialed fitness trainer or whatever, is you know you can be confident that this person, because they want to maintain their certification, has to adhere to the highest ethical standards in their industry and keep best, you know, keep abreast of all best practices. Right. Um, I'm sure that many, if not most, of your listeners have experienced the difference between 
having the neighbor down the street say do your taxes versus having them done by a CPA or at least a professional who does them full time, you know, like an employee of H&R Block or something like that. Right. right. In the same vein, um, the quality and effectiveness of your resume will, I can't guarantee always because like you, I've seen those horrific resume, you know, poor quality resumes written by somebody who says they're CPRW, but you can have more confidence that the resume is going to be of higher quality and more likely to help you get an interview if you have a credential professional write it than say if you have your coworker or your friend or your husband do it or even if you do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And one of the things that I value that you put into play that what you get from the organization itself is resume styles do change over time. They do. So I make effort to stay on top of what are those trends going on. And I know you're paying attention to what the association pumps out as well. Exactly. Yep. Just like anything in the world, if you're not growing, you're dying. Correct. And, uh, we need to stay on top of our skills. So let's talk a bit on what other people can do to make their resumes stronger by themselves. And one of the things that I always stress to my clients or people I'm talking to is there's like really four key audiences for our resume, right? So that first level is the computers, and they just care about the keywords and screening you in or screening you out, right? Right. Yeah. And the next level up would be like HR, like an actual human being in HR. A lot of times what they're looking for is the experience and education that's going to match the job description itself. By the time we get to hiring managers, I've found that they care more about passion, right? Because smart managers want to hire someone who's passionate about what they do. They'll stay right. longer, produce better quality work, all these other kind of things. Um, but they're also looking at the ability and how well you fit into the organization. Because sometimes when HR is screening by keywords, they may not really understand fully what that means. And I can say this because I used to do HR, and I know I would try to hire IT people all the time and you know, I honestly don't know my Java from C++ from a mainframe. Right. But I still had to screen those resumes. <laughs> but um, one of the things, too, like with this whole idea of the screening computers is the concept of smart and stupid keywords. And uh, I, I know that sounds harsh, but that's the way I usually phrase it. So a smart keyword is anything that actually relates to the job itself. Right. Right. So, you know, in the case of that IT person, the Java, the C++, the HTML, all of those things are, are smart keywords. A stupid keyword is stuff like excellent communication skills or team player or these things that we know don't mean very much. But if it's in the job description and it's not in your resume, the computers will kick you out because it says you're unqualified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think some, and sometimes they're set up really, really literal. Like I have seen people get uh, killed in the screening process because the job description said they were looking for a Bachelor of Science, and their resume said BS. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it didn't contain Bachelor of Science. I know that's something we've uh, discussed before. Yeah. Yeah, which is just ridiculous and harsh because here you are, somebody with the qualifications, but because the, the screening parameters were set up too harsh, 
qualified applicants are getting cut. Right. So what's your take on, on um, figuring out like keywords and uh, how you would address these different types of audiences? Sure. Well, um, what I do, and it's something that any client can do, is take the time to really read through the job posting and find out what the employer wants in terms of keywords and make sure that you use the employer's voice when you put those keywords in your resume. Mm -hmm. And make sure you don't just fill, you know, yes, the dumb, the stupid skills are important, but you have to have the smart skills too. And you don't just want to say, well, I do X, Y, Z, A, and B well, and just put those in and not double check them against what the posting's actually asking for. Yeah. Because of that keyword match and because those applicant tracking systems, while they're artificial intelligence based, mm -hmm. they aren't really very smart. Yeah. Yeah. They just react to the keywords. And I usually advise people you need a 60 to 70% match on those keywords yeah. just to get through the computers, but then you're up to a human being and that's when the actual quality of the writing matters. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, I think you do exceptionally well, probably the best on my team, is when it comes to framing the achievements. Thank you. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about why you always make sure to capture these achievements in the resume? Well, your resume is a personal marketing document. And as such, you want that personal marketing document to tell a hiring manager how good you are at what you do. Just uh, copying and pasting your job description into the resume doesn't cut it anymore. Um, a job description is a job description is a job description for the most part across the same title. Mm -hmm. So what sets you apart is rather than this litany of stuff that you did, instead communicating your value to the hiring manager by saying, hey, yeah, um, here's a high-level overview of my duties to show you that I tick the you know, tick the major boxes, but more importantly, this is how good I am at what I do, and the way I solved this problem and got these results proves it. Mm -hmm. This lets the um, hiring manager very easily visualize what you might be able to do for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So then there's one other category that I, I feel we just need to address because so many people will make key changes to their resume because of this. And this is the recruiters. And I'm not talking about the corporate recruiters. I'm talking about like the headhunter kind of recruiters. So, yeah. you know, their, their main focus is, are, this sounds harsh, but it's true, is like, are you sellable meat? So mm -hmm. I've seen people do dramatic changes to their resume because that's how the recruiter wanted it to be positioned for this particular job. And then the job seeker's like, well, a recruiter told me to do it. This must be the best practices. And then they're putting out that very single targeted resume to other positions. And uh, it's not serving their purpose. Right. Yeah. So it's like, we want to be helpful to the recruiters, but don't hang your entire job search on that. Right. You want to consider it a, a form of a tailored resume, you know, mm -hmm. just as, you know, say you were applying to Lockheed Martin you know, and chose to tailor your resume to Lockheed's posting, you wouldn't then turn around and send the same resume to Boeing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, and the recruiter is the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let's talk about some of the resume traps to avoid. Obviously, there's the spelling and grammar kicks, yeah. like you noticed with your dad. But I think <laughs> one question I hear from people these days is, why does that matter that a simple thing like a couple of spelling or minor grammar errors are knocking them out of the running when everything else said they're, they're a key candidate? Why would that be? Well, it's really simple. It, it shows a lack of attention to detail. And it's unprofessional. Mm -hmm. um, spelling and grammar errors, if you put them in, um, in a business proposal or an important legal document, could cost, you you know, could cost the company business or could get you into legal trouble. So absolutely, they're important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's this thing I hear people talk about, and I'm sure you've heard it too, using action verbs in the resume itself. So what, do you, what does that mean? Well, what that means is rather than saying, um, you know, handling X, Y, or Z, it's, it's best for your resume, for every sentence in your resume to start with a strong present tense active verb. You know, so instead of responsible for handling a billion dollar engineering budget, you say, oversee a billion dollar energy, um, engineering budget, and mm -hmm. that's just much stronger, much more powerful. It's an active sense instead of a passive sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it sometimes almost sounds like backpedaling for us career coaches to say, oh, you need to match the job description, but, oh, whatever you do, don't say responsible for, and don't start every sentence with managed and stuff like that or right. demonstrated ability to, it's like, yes, those are the things that are in the job descriptions, but those are not keywords. I mean, HR is right. not screening by responsible for. That would be, that's just boring right. writing. Exactly. And I, a lot of times, too, I find if you're, if you're stuck and you don't know how to get out of that trap, just lop off the responsible for and make that next verb, you know, strong. Mm-hmm. And that's, you can solve that problem. Yeah, that's usually what I do. In addition, the, the, the thesaurus, I can say that word today, is one of my best friends when I'm writing. Because mm -hmm. you, know, you don't want to repeat the same verb over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yep, I do too. Shift F7. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about some resume back, uh, best practices and some things that have kind of changed over time. So sure. we already talked about the importance of the achievements. Let's talk about visual appearance because a couple of years ago we were seeing a real strong push for the infographic resumes or the ones that are very mm -hmm. uh, visually driven. What do you think about those? Well, first and foremost, you know, a purely infographic resume is great if you're at a job fair or a networking event or something like that and you want to concisely communicate you and your value um, in an in-person format. But those infographics, because applicant tracking systems don't read graphics, don't read text boxes, or I should say don't read content embedded in graphics, will hurt you every single time. Mm -hmm. um, and when you send your resume in for that job posting, the ATS strips the formatting anyway. So really what it boils down to is the visual appearance of the resume. It's to boost your confidence when you walk into that personal interview and give the resume to 
a hiring manager. So yeah, there's nothing wrong with some judicious use of graphics and color and things like that, but you, you don't want it to be the predominant thing in the document. Right. And there's some industries where it's going to matter more. You're going for right. a graphic design position or a hardcore marketing position. Using the right. infographic or that visual type, or even one that's just a little bit more stylized, even if it's not right, for exactly. infographic. And, exactly. and again, it's because you're emailing it to people or handing it to them. It's not right. Yeah, you put that through that online application, it's going to choke every time. Yeah, there's a lot of clients who think that one specific format or layout is the magic bullet. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll get that all the time. Well, which one gets the most results for people in my industry? And Sometimes it's really hard to dissuade them from the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Well, there are some best practices per industry. Like, sure. for example, uh, HR, IT. Legal. Um, yeah, legal. Those are going to be a little bit more conservative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, executive resumes actually need to look better than they used to. Right. Yeah, because it, it has to have that air of sophistication to it. Exactly. Just like they use less stupid keywords there because they don't have to get through the HR screening process. You know? Right. <laughs> they yep. need to focus on smart keywords. Understood. All right. So um, any other best practices you want to make sure people know? Um, I've already touched on this, but um, definitely keeping your overview of duties concise. When I'm writing a resume, um, you know, I'll take that job description that drones on for half a page to a page to heaven forbid a couple of pages and I will condense it to a maximum three or four line paragraph. Mm -hmm. You just want to hit the high points. And the other important thing is you don't want to write your resume like your cover letter or worse yet like you're uh, writing to a pen pal or something which means don't use I, me, or my in your resume. From a grammar perspective, that's called direct first person. Mm -hmm. Instead, you want to write it in what's called implied first person so that if you mentally start the sentence with I or include me or my, the, the um, content makes sense. You're just not using it. Finally, mm -hmm. there is such a thing as resume speak, which describes the deliberately concise um, succinct way that you should write your resume. It shouldn't be narrative. So a lot of times like where in in more of a narrative type document you would see articles like a, an, and the. Mm -hmm. You don't use them in the resume simply because they take up too much space and mm -hmm. you don't really need them to communicate effectively what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the latest statistic to hit the the articles online is your resume gets judged in six seconds. Right. Which, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. I mean, we used to say 30 seconds, uh -huh. and we dropped it down to 10. And this six-second thing, it's all like, where did that come from? Where I believe they're pulling that from is this new data that you have to make an impression on somebody in six seconds, and they're comparing it to the Twitter life, right? Well, yeah, that's face-to-face. -face. I mean, it yeah. takes five, six seconds just to open the document. Just to read your name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a little bit, uh, little bit strict. Yeah. And, and when you take into account the computerized screening, which takes, you know, like millions of seconds because the computers are just acting yeah. keywords, maybe they're pulling that kind of thing in there. 
So, you know, my advice to people is don't get too paranoid about that six second thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sir, we need to make sure that we can find the key information quickly, but yeah. don't destroy your entire resume on that basis. Yeah, well, that's why I make the first third of the resume the um, space where you put most of the key information, at least in overview form. Right, right. So uh, we're getting closer to the end of our time, but I really want to talk about some of the most misinterpreted advice on resumes. And um, I have to tell you a story about one that just absolutely breaks my heart whenever I see this, because it it happened just last week. I had a uh, potential client send me her resume. This thing was absolutely atrocious and it was so scaled back and so I mean like literally the margins were probably an inch and a half all the way around and she barely filled in the space within it right and then not even organized bullet points under the jobs absolutely zero dates on it no dates on the education but more importantly, like no dates in her work history. And I'm like, where did you get this? Why are you doing that? Because this is, HR is going to kill that every single time. You know, it is a best practice that we often take off the graduation date for college because mm-hmm. it shows age. Sure. But she had read this thing, I think it was in Money Magazine, that said take off the dates, and she interpreted it as take off all dates on her resume, but it's like, oh my goodness. the dates of your work history, oh. that will always fail the work, uh, the screening from HR, because I can't tell when you did what. Dang. Can't tell how much experience you have. So, yeah, so, uh, and what other kind of pet peeves have you run into with people's resumes like that? My resume has to be just one page. If it's any longer than that, it'll never be looked at. No, you mean that good or bad? Bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, how, how am I going to tell your story effectively if I have to stay within one page? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gives me 400 to maybe 500 words to pre- present you and market you to an employer, and it's, it's, it's just not possible. Right. And then you add in the fact that you have to have smart and stupid keywords in there. Right. Which need time and space. And yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mhm. Yep. Any others? Well, um, the occasional client who still comes to me and says, "You know, I want a functional resume." Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what's a functional resume for those who don't know? Well, a functional resume, instead of leading with a summary of your career and skills, instead leads with the skills completely divorced from the career history and then shows how you how your career has supported those skills Mm -hmm. and then it's a very abbreviated career history Um, hiring managers actually hate that because then they got to think too much well they can't can't figure it out at all they have which job you know you need to present it to them in context now there is a place in a cover letter to mm. take a key skill and maybe show, you know, show how you support that skill and an achievement that highlights it. But the place for it is not the resume. Um, mm. You want you want to keep your resume in um, reverse chronological order and not get too 
fancy with um, changing around the content or anything like that. Not only does it confuse the hiring managers, it confuses the applicant tracking system too. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've come to the end of our time. So uh, now it's my favorite part of the show where we get to talk about <laughs> tattoos. But Yay. Melissa, you don't have a tattoo, do you? I don't. I got a couple of interesting scars from surgeries, but no tattoos. Not quite the same thing. So, no, not all. Yeah, that's all right. I've got uh, plenty of tattoos that we can talk about. And actually, uh, speaking of surgery, I should mention uh, I've got one on my shoulder. It's actually called a koi dragon. And uh, the reason why I'm tying this to surgery is I, like, tore out my rotator cuff and ruptured my bicep. So <laughs> it's, I'm hoping to God I don't have to have, like, surgery go right through the dragon's face. Oh, not the face. I know. I know. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like a quarter sleeve. It's so big, which means it comes from the top of my shoulder down, you know, just above my elbow. Sure. And just a little bit shorter than that. So if they have to do like a great big surgery scar, it can totally mess it up. <laughs> well, I'll keep my fingers crossed that won't happen. Yeah, yeah. So do you, do you know what the symbolism with koi in tattoos is? I actually don't. So koi's are uh, obviously a favorite theme in Japanese-style tattoos, and they actually stand for uh, overcoming challenges in life. Oh, I like that. Yeah, so if you have a, somebody with a koi and it's swimming downward, like down their leg or their arm, Mm -hmm. That means they've already achieved that goal and that they're now in their period of rest. Gotcha. So if you see somebody with a koi and it's swimming upstream, like up towards their head, that means it's uh, meant to be a symbol of strength to help them overcome challenges. Which direction is yours swimming? Uh, it's actually going up, but okay. um, I can try to show it on the screen. I'll, I'll definitely post a picture to our new Instagram page. We have a new Instagram I don't know if you can see that. Oh, that looks horrible. Yeah, that's see it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a picture posted online. Okay. We'll, we'll have Great. plenty of references for it. Um, so koi dragons are a little bit different than a standard koi. So the story behind them is a bit of mythology in that um, koi, when they go to spawn, they jump up creeks like mm -hmm. salmon do. Sure. So specifically in the Yellow River in China, at the very top of the mountain where the stream is, uh, the koi are jumping up there to breed. And in every pool, some more of them like, get washed away because they're too weak to make it. Or the fishermen catch them. Or eagles swoop down and take them out. So, uh, or they bash themselves on the rocks and they just don't have the strength to make it. But the very last waterfall at the very top of the mountain is known as the Dragon's Gate. So the mythology is once every thousand years for every 10,000 fish jumping through the gate, the one who makes it turns into a dragon, which is, of course, a symbol of wisdom and wealth and generosity and, and achievement. Neat. So that's why I have a koi dragon in the midst of his transformation on my shoulder. Very cool. Yeah. So hopefully he will not lose his face. I hope so, too. <laughs> that would be sad. That would be sad. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Melissa. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me on the show. 
Yep. Uh, once again, Melissa does indeed work for me. So if you want to find out more about getting your resume done or her, your LinkedIn profile, Melissa is also one of my coaches. So she helps out with interview coaching as well. And uh, you can reach us at personaltouchcareersservices.com. We're in Denver, Colorado, office number 720-452-3400. And of course, if you like the show, please hit the like button, share it with your friends and family and enemies. I don't care. Share it with everyone. <laughs> and uh, be sure to follow us. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys.